Through Their Mother's Eyes is a series of conversations with mothers who share their hearts and experiences raising black sons who because of the color of their skin are often feared, hated, and not valued as human beings. Hello and welcome to Through Their Mother's Eyes where we have real discussions with moms of black sons allowing them to share their hearts about raising black sons and to share their thoughts and their, I'm just going into this and this is totally all gonna be cut except for the hello and welcome. So I'm just letting you know. It's, this is Florence and tonight I have with me, my friend, Emberly Banning, who is, I'm not going to share a bunch about her. I'm going to let her share some background. Emberly, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Florence, for having me. I, it's interesting. Every time I think about how many children you actually have, it, my head explodes a little bit. So (laughs) I'm not, I'm going to let you reveal that. So just whatever background about yourself you'd like to share with the audience, if you would do that, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll start where it all started for me. So I'm from a very small town in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, and I grew up in a two-family home, two-parent family home with um, a mom who worked for the state and a dad who worked for the government. And you know, it was my sister and I, and all during my upbringing, you know, education was impressed upon us as a must-do, a must-have, um, because my parents were both educated. And I think I just grew up in this household with a lot of love and a lot of um, reassurance and confidence in I could do and be anything, and there weren't any limitations on me. And I don't know. I mean, I think now back to my childhood, and I say, you know, was that realistic? Was it not? But Nonetheless, it was my household. And so I went out into the world kind of with that mindset of I could do and be anything. And that's kind of how I've approached life. Um, Since then, I have graduated from an HBCU, which I'm very proud of, Clark Atlanta University, and started my career. And about uh, five years in, I decided that um, it was time to get an executive MBA. So I went back to Penn State and got that. So two very different experiences in terms of um, higher education. And since that time, I have progressed in my career to some measure, and now I am married. And through my marriage, we have seven children. I have five boys and two girls, um, three of which are bonus children. And I love them just as if they were my own kids that I birthed. And so I think that is a very interesting perspective as my life has changed over the last, you know, maybe three or four years. And our children range in ages from 22 to six months. (laughs) Wait, so thank you for sharing that. But you you haven't, so you have seven kids from 22 to six months. There's there's another piece about the six months. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, the six-month-olds are twins. I have a boy and a girl twin set, so... Um, and I, and I, I will say also, I think another interesting dynamic is one of my bonus children is um, an interracial child. So he is black and white. And so he 
is just getting to know us. We just found out about him a couple of years ago through Ancestry. Um, and so, you know, that's another dynamic to being a blended family. That's, yeah, that is, that is, uh, and the whole thing with, with Ancestry and, and finding mm -hmm. people that way, that is, it's another dynamic and it's also fairly, it's also fairly new in mm -hmm. just, general that people are, are finding each other that way. So that's, that is really interesting. So tell me growing up in, in Arkansas, right? So when mm -hmm. I think of Arkansas, I've never actually been there. I've been a lot of places, never been to Arkansas. When I think of Arkansas, I think of, you know, I think of the, the deep South. Mm -hmm. So what was your, you know, we're, we're here talking about, about, what's been going on with racial injustice or not what's been going on because it's been going on for a long time, but what right. the new conversations that are going on. So in terms of, of having grown up in the, in what I consider the deep South, what, what was your perspective on the race relations, the issues that we have in this country with, with race specifically having to do with, with people of, of color, black African-American people? You know, I will tell you, Florence, I, it probably wasn't until I was out on my own and as an adult that I really began to pay attention because in my bubble of a small town Pine Bluff, here we were this, what some might consider affluent family um, who owned, you know, my family had, they worked full time, but they also owned a small business in the community. and. So I grew up with this sense of small businesses being the backbone of our communities. And we did a lot, you know, as a family, we contributed to our community in such a way. I, I remember the first time I, I had the opportunity to learn about the farmers in Arkansas that we were helping, you know, my dad contracted out with other small business minority owners um, across the state um, to be able to, to use their produce and, and items, you know, in our restaurant. Um, we started out banking with a small bank, you know, in our community because they were the place where my dad could get a loan. Now, I didn't understand that part back then. I just knew that we banked with a smaller bank and not the big bank I saw on the corner um, until much later. Um, and so I would say, you know, and going to school, like I went to a mixed high school and we had, you know, everyone in my high school. I, I remember we had an exchange student program uh, my senior year. And because it was not abnormal for us to have, you know, kids from China or from Africa or from wherever um, in school with us, that I don't know that I recognized it as much because I was in a, in a diverse place. And because our town was so small, it, you know, I'm sure it existed and I'm sure people experienced it on a daily basis, but I think because it wasn't something that I experienced outwardly, I didn't necessarily pay attention to it. Now, once I left my little bubble, I can tell you things drastically changed and the way in which people received me was very different. And I'm sure for some, I might've been a little arrogant because I just hadn't had to walk in those shoes before where I needed to prove myself somewhere. I mean, it was enough being Emberly. And you know, and so I look back on that and say, gosh, that was maybe a protective mechanism growing up that I just didn't realize it. And maybe I was better equipped after having grown up and spent 18 years beneath the covering of my family and my friends and my community 
to realize it. Now, once I went to college, I went to college in Atlanta, Georgia, where race relations is huge in the sense that there's such history in Atlanta, Georgia. And that was the first time I think I really was confronted with an issue or an opportunity to really see race relations in our country very differently. And I remember my friends and I were at a very popular mall in Atlanta, Georgia, one where all of the celebrities frequent. And we were there because we had money to spend and thought we should be there too. And we had an experience at the mall. I remember calling my mom and I was in tears about the fact that there was a sales lady who had followed us around the store like the entire time we were there, not to ask us if we needed help, because she never asked us anything. She just was lurking. And I said to my mom, it's almost like, you know, she wanted, it's almost like she was waiting for us to do something. And I don't know what the something was, you know, but, but we were three girls, you know, probably looked very, you know, unassuming. Um, and, and I didn't know what that felt like before Florence, honestly. I didn't know what it felt like to have someone follow me around and not think that I had a credit card or money um, to spend. It had never happened to you before no. where you no. grew so up. So here I am, 18 years old, in a whole you know, different city and state from where I grew up, and it's the first time I'm confronted with it. And my mom, you know, in that moment, did the best she could to calm me down and really talk about the fact that I was outside of my safety zone at this point. And, you know, I was going to have to grow up in a very different way. And there were some things that she hadn't had to talk with me about that now we were going to have to have a real conversation about. Um, and it was everything from the friends that I'm with when I go into the mall. You know, what do we look like when we go into the mall? And um, were we in and out of stores in a way that would, uh, that would make people assume we were doing something that we shouldn't have or that was illegal? Because typically when you were in and out of the front door of a store, it looked as if you were stealing and taking things and stashing them somewhere in the mall to pick up later. And like just a lot of different things that never even crossed my mind as an 18 year old who had never experienced someone needing to watch her before. You, but do you on it? So, and, and I, I hear what you're saying and, and that experience I know must've been like a, like a glass of cold water in the face because yeah. growing up, you know, people say that kids, kids aren't born racist or, or aware of certain things. And, and that is true. And then the fact that you grew up somewhere where you, it, it was a smaller place, you were known, your family was known and yeah. it was just a different, so, and going somewhere like Atlanta where, you know. It's, I'm one of many. <laughs> and there's so many people who look just like me floating around. And there's, and there's history, like you said, there's that history yeah. there. And, and so, but do you, when you when you talk about your mother saying, you know, when you go into the store and you're and you're you're hanging out by the by the the entrance and people think, well, maybe do you really think honestly that people think that about everyone, regardless of the color of their skin? Or do you think was your mother saying, now I have to have this conversation with you as a person of color? If yeah. you're hanging out. And I know part of it has to do with being teenagers, right? So we right. watch teenagers, but right. she talking about, you know, 
Oh, it was 100% forms. Because here's the thing. I think my mom knows me well enough to know that I have decorum and to know that I know how to carry myself. And so I think the conversation in that moment was, okay, you are a black child now in a bigger pond and sea, and you have to move differently because of it. You aren't in a place where people will, will assume the best about you first. And, and I mean, even down to the type of friends that I went to the mall with, that was a question. I mean, that was a, a conversation point of your friends are a reflection of you. And so you have to choose wisely because those who don't carry themselves in a certain way, or it is assumed that they don't carry themselves in a certain way, you will be guilty by association. And not because you have done something, but because it will be assumed that you will do or have done because of what you look like. Right. Yeah. Which is, yeah, like you said, that is a, that is a hard realization to have at, at, at any age, but mm -hmm. Definitely when you're, you know, you're out, quote unquote, on your own for the first time and, and it I is mean, it impacted me so much, Florence, that I, if, if my girlfriends wore a weave and other things and had their nails done in a certain way, like we didn't hang out outside of like the dorm room together because I was now afraid of being judged on something that could have been just their personal style or preference. It may not have been mine, but now I'm judged and lumped into a group uh, just based on sheer association. Yep, yep. Took me many decades to ever get my get my hair braided uh, because there's that perception. There's yeah, it, and there's a stigma. Yeah, you know, yeah. Wearing my hair natural now, it's like I've I've gotten to the point where I'm like, you know what, this is this is it, this is me. But years ago, it was the, that, that standard of beauty, that mm -hmm. standard of, like you said, decorum, that is based on something out, outside of what my people or people who look like me are generally credited for. So mm -hmm. it's, yeah, that is crazy. So, and I guess, I guess I must say this. So at a time when you're supposed to have self-expression, mine was stifled. Yep. Which is sad because mm -hmm. that is something that people take for granted that you get yes. to the point where you go off to college and you can be you mm -hmm. and then you find out, well, I can't really be me or yeah. I can't explore these other things that I may want to do or be because of how they're perceived. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is, which is sad. So, so tell me when with, 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 and this is a question that I'm, I'm, asking everyone and I want to I want to take us back to what is going on today the conversations that are going on everything that we're hearing about racial inequality everything that we're hearing about systemic racism etc and, and you and I have had conversations offline mm -hmm. about some of these things and I don't know if I've asked you this in those conversations but I'm going to ask you this for the podcast because I can and it's awesome. So when you hear all of these things, when uh, all these conversations and the news stories and the Facebook posts and the, the all of that stuff, if if I asked you to give me one word that would sum up 
how you're feeling about that, about everything that's going on, what would that one word be? Infuriated. Infuriated. I like that word. I like that word. You did not get a sneak peek at the, at the questions. I like how quickly you answered that. And now I'm going to ask you to expound on that. How do you mean infuriated? Why are you infuriated? You know, I think it's probably for a couple of different reasons, but I'll start with, I don't know how you could be a human being in this world in the last, I don't know, decade. Let's just say a decade. Let's not even go back any further. But, and not know that there is a difference in how people are treated and viewed. And, and, and I say that because within the 10 years, we've had multiple instances. I mean, even if you just go back to Trayvon Martin, like on some level, you could not have been oblivious that this is happening and that racial profiling takes place. And so, you know, and that children, men, and now even women are just killed because of it, because of someone's own hatred. And I do my best, I think, to put on a brave face every day and to try to help my teammates, my friends, my counterparts, colleagues, whatever you want to call people who are not like me, who don't understand and want me to educate them. But I don't know how with all the resources that are out there in this world and people being able to find out anything that they would like to, that this is new news. And so it infuriates me in the sense of everyone is, well, not everyone, a lot of people are taking the stance of, I just didn't know. And I want to learn. And I, can you educate me? And it's like, no, hell no. I'm busy trying to raise my own kids. I'm busy trying to figure out how to climb this corporate ladder myself without Amy Cooper's in the way, officially or unofficially. And no, I think that it is crazy that in today's society, you can sit here and say you didn't know and it takes a black man being killed on national TV during a pandemic for you to pay attention or want to pay attention. Right. So now I'm mad, I'm upset, and it is just unfair. It's unfair that I have to feel this way. Many other parents, mothers, brothers, sisters, cousins all feel this way. We all walk out, here's the thing, we all walk out of our door first, black, every day. You know you walk out of your door other, every day. And you have to be aware that being non-Black or non-Hispanic comes with some set of privilege. You cannot think that it does and, and exist in this world today. And primarily because we've had elected officials talk about these, these groups of individuals as second class or third class citizens. Yeah. So it's not new news, you know? Yeah, we've had them talk about the 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 fact that we we elected a, a black president, so like that's reparations, and that is you know that means that things like we've made up for we've made up for all of all of this you know systemic racism. We 
we we elected a black president when no you didn't elect a black president and when he right. was in office you obstructed whatever good he could have done you know nobody's perfect but whatever right. good he could have done you you stood against everything so um but I, I want to, and it's not because I want to dwell on the anger, because you and I both know, Emberly, that Black women are, are, are famously mistaken for angry, bitter people. Right. Uh, so I, I don't want to do any kind of, I don't want to feed into that. But you are, and excuse me while I do this, this is at least once per interview, I, my phone does something, and that was my work phone because somebody sent me an email because I should go get it. This is going to be edited out. So um, I, I want to go back to the infuriated. Are you frozen? Am I frozen? Who's frozen? No. Okay. Was I frozen? No. Okay, good, because that happens to me all the time. So I want to go back to, I, I want to I stay on that for a minute, the, the, the feeling that you have, because mm -hmm. you're doing such a good job of, of articulating it and showing it, but still doing it in a way that it's, I, I feel like people can relate to it because you're just, you're being matter of fact about it. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about, and I know that you're not saying that people who want to be, to, to understand, who want to be educated, you're not saying anything bad about them. You're okay. just saying that you've been walking out your door black your entire life. Mm -hmm. And these things have been going on, especially the last 10 years with everything. Things have, have obviously been bad and we've seen more because they've been going on, you know, for hundreds yeah. of years, but mm -hmm. we now have cell phone video of mm -hmm. everything that ever happens. So we've been seeing it for at least 10 years and you're mm -hmm. just saying, how could you just wake up in yeah. March or whatever and realize it? So tell me, tell me more about that if there is anything else that you that you want to say about that that feeling of being inferior yeah so i you know i think i think over the last few years for me i've probably been through an evolution of feelings because anytime you know that something like this is happening or taking place to any group or groups of people it's disheartening and you wish the world could be better, could be different. And I think as I fast forward to where I sit today, Florence, as like a mom of seven, five of which are boys, black boys, you know, even my interracial stepson, no matter what he does, he will be viewed as a black boy. And so all of these are things, whether they were kids I birthed or not, they will be black before they will be anything else to someone. And that is something that I and their mother gave to them that they cannot change. And so we have now given our kids something that they had no control over. They have no control over changing a heart and mind about something that they were given as a birthright, which, by the way, is an amazing birthright. Amen. Yes. And so. And so it, 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 is, it is infuriating and it's disheartening for me that I am not in a position to affect change in a world towards my sons before they even open their mouths or have an opportunity to engage. Yep. And so 
you know, over the phone, over the internet, you know, as long as their, you know, their profiles aren't visible or something, they will be a human being. But at the point, at the point in which someone sees them, they are now not just a human being. They are a black or African-American human being. And I don't know how, I mean, I, I don't know any mother or father around today who wants to give their kids a disadvantage starting out. But when you think about where we sit today, it can feel like a disadvantage you've given them because it's nothing that they can do about what they look like. Right. There's no education you can give them. There's no amount of exposure you can give them. They are going to be black regardless. And which who wants to be the person that's responsible for passing that on? Like, you know what I'm saying? Right. Which isn't even the being black isn't even the problem. It's the perception, perception. the treatment, yeah. the fact that, that black people have, you know, it, and it's, it's everywhere, right? The darker you are, yeah. the worse it is, the worse even, it is, the worse you are. That's mm -hmm. the perception. Right. Whereas that's not, that's not a fact, but when people see them, it doesn't matter. If you look a little bit black, you know, like they used to say, a drop will do you. And yeah. you're black, you're all the way black, it doesn't matter. And it, that is not something that our children should be ashamed of. It shouldn't be an obstacle. It shouldn't be this thing that they have to, it, it should not be something that, that, that they have to somehow overcome. overcome or survive. This is- yeah. Like you said, it is a beautiful thing. I can I can count off a boatload of things that are that that being black. I can say it's it's advantageous. You yeah. know, not the least of which is people look at me. They don't know how old I am. Except right. Maybe, except maybe right now with the, <laughs> the, the grays right here. But there there are, and I know that's superficial and that that's halfway a joke. But there are so many things. I mean, when you think mm -hmm. about how strong we are as people and what we have actually overcome mm -hmm. when you look now and you think it's been hundreds of years we should not be like you said at the point where people are waking up to oh you know maybe maybe they're not getting you know the best jobs or maybe they're not getting or maybe they're getting killed because they're black you know so it's uh, um, all right. So I'm going to, I'm going to do some, I'm going to do less talking because this is, I'm trying to, people have been hearing from me and they're sick of hearing from me right now. So no. I'm going to, no, nobody could ever be sick of hearing from me. That's what my children tell me, which I know they're lying because they're always looking at me like, ugh. like they audibly make the sound though. Oh, well, you have teenagers, so that's understandable. I call one of them and it's, Oh, and I hear it. I see this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, now I have to feel bad about parenting you too. Oh, what well, makes you feel any better? The three-year-old does that now. So, you know, it, that disgust comes at all ages for needing to hear from mom again. Yeah. It's like, do you, do you ever shut up? Do you, do you ever yeah. stop telling me what to do? So, okay. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to go back to one of my, the, the questions that I, that I actually have asked other people because of what you told me about the way you grew up and based on what you know now, mm -hmm. 
what advice would you give a younger you before you had before you had black sons based on what you know now what would you what would you say to yourself wow that's a loaded question so i have actually thought about this before only because i have thought about writing letters to my sons and my daughters um i would probably say don't change don't be any different because you have allowed yourself to be comfortable in your own skin to walk into any room or space as though you already belong there and don't change the foundation in which you stand on and for me it is um through christ all things are possible and i have carried that with me even in the face of adversity. And one of the things I told myself after that college incident is that I wanted to be the type of woman who in the face of adversity would look that challenge in the face and walk boldly through it. And I probably wouldn't tell myself anything different except for to do more of that and don't allow my experiences to taint the views of myself and allow me to not let my light shine. Because I think when we do stand in our own courage, it's, it's what everyone is asking of us today is just be bold in your conviction, share your story, share your experience. And I know in some instances it feels condescending, but by that same token, there is power in it. And I think we allow ourselves through our experiences to shy away from that power and to not stand in it, but we are powerful beyond measure. We are bright, intelligent, and, uh, you know, um, interesting, funny, and fun people. And we should not allow the things that we experience to dim our light because God didn't ask us to. I love that. Thank you. And the, the, you know, when you talk about, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I, and this is something I've thought about you for, for a while, but especially, especially since we've been talking more and the, that whole idea that walking into a room, like you belong there, I give that advice to, to I gave that advice to interns when they were in the program. And after that, even meeting with them, I, I, I'm always making sure I give them that advice. And I had to acknowledge a couple of summers ago, I said, I give this advice. I'm talking to you. I'm giving you this advice. And it's because I wish that somebody had given me that advice back when I was your age, when I was starting out, because I don't, I have not historically walked into the room like I belong there or sat at the table, like I deserved that seat at the table. And mm-hmm. it has affected me. It has affected me professionally. It has affected mm-hmm. me personally. And that is one thing about you, Emberly, that I just, I love. And, and the way you do it is not, it's not, I am better than you. I'm going to beat you over the head with my, you know, <laughs> it's just, it, you just carry it with you. And it is, it's, it's a, wonderful thing for me to behold working with you and yeah it's it's oh anyway i'm not gonna well thank you i you know i will tell you 
Lawrence, um, I started my career with it. And I have, I have had to have those reminder moments where it's like, no, 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 no. You've done the work. You, you deserve to be here. Um, and it's okay. You can say it. You can, you can say it out loud. <laughs> and if someone doesn't like it, then shame on them. Because so I, when I started at the company that I'm at now, one of the executives that I was supporting said to me, you know, you really are just not a person who um, reveres leaders in, in a specific way. And I said, well, I respect them. And their response was, yeah, you, but you treat them like they put their pants on one leg at a time like you do. And I said, yeah, because they do. And I will always respect or have respect for people who are in positions of power. But that does not mean that I have to bow down or worship or, um, as I said before, dim my own light because I am in their presence. I mean, we're in each other's presence in that moment. And I'm, I'm respectful in the way that I carry myself and in the way that I treat others. And I'm respectful of the work that everyone brings to the table and their various thoughts and visions and their leadership styles. But I 100% see them as a human being. Which, like you said, which they are. So in terms of, and it's interesting that you say that, in, in terms of, well, first of all, I'm going to ask Lucy, can you, one of you, can you show your face, please? Thank you. I'm going to ask you this because I have to run to the ladies' room. I have to turn off this alarm thing because when Jack comes home, it's going to beep. And I'm going to ask a question, and then I want Emberly to be able to speak to you as she answers it. Okay. Just to say your name or anything, but just to have so that Emberly doesn't feel like she's talking to my chair. Because <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. a little black empty space. A little, yeah, it's, no, it's actually it's blue. It's velvety. It's blue. Oh. oh my gosh! It's like oh, it's like a queen. It's my throne. Sorry, I just had a moment. Okay, so uh, the the question I'm going to ask. So, Emberly, you just you just what you just talked about about looking at people as people, right? You respect the position, you respect people, but you are not going to bow down. You're not going to make yourself seem less than to somehow pay homage to them or whatever. Let me ask you this. When we talk about raising black sons in this world, and when we talk about the things, the conversations I've had to have with my sons as they were being raised, as, as I was, as I am still raising them, but as I am raising them, talking with them about if you're stopped, you know, about respecting authority and not being, not appearing to be aggressive or scary or whatever. How, and this is tricky, how do you take that, the idea that everybody's human, nobody's better, quote unquote, better than you. How do you take that, raise black sons who are already perceived by society as being threatening. Mm -hmm. So I will tell you, it is tricky because the conversations I'm having with the older boys will probably be very different or look different from what I'll have with the younger boys. And I say that because the older boys are already out on their own. And so now this becomes about not necessarily shrinking in the moment, but definitely making sure that they are respectful. Because I think sometimes, you know, all kids go through a phase where 
they need to assert themselves or be seen as a man or as a young lady and a woman. And, you know, what I try to tell them is that now is not that time to, to flex or um, to, to put on, as we would say, um, now is a time for you to do as you are asked in that moment. And you don't need to be extra in your response. You answer the questions that are being asked. And then you're quiet again. And, and quiet because I think in those moments, it allows for a pause to take place. I don't know that they need to talk their way out of something in that moment because they may be in a situation where they cannot talk themselves out of it. Uh, what they need to do is to be quiet in that moment and to listen so that they can understand the magnitude of what's going on. They can be attuned to what's going on. And, and just be respectful. And I think that, you know, if they don't understand something, helping them understand that it's okay to ask a question and to get clarity. And if they don't feel comfortable in doing that, then it's just important to me that if they are pulled over or stopped, that they have one of us on speed dial so that we can be a part of that interaction with them. I'm just going to ask a follow-up question while I have you. Um, Do you think that that varies between the way that you look at the relationships with your sons versus uh, daughters? I thought it did. Um, And then with what happened to Breonna Taylor, it kind of really, it really shook me. It kind of took me back to that moment in the mall as an 18 year old, you know, it took me back to, Oh, this isn't just about, me equipping my sons or my husband and I having understanding of what will take place if he is stopped or he and I are stopped together. This is now about having to have a conversation with my daughters because there's no one that really is safe from prejudice or racism in the sense of, I think over time it has become about our black boys and our black men, but it is, it is truly at its heart just about pure racism and that can impact anyone who looks like them girls included and so no it is I will tell you the last couple of months have really shaken me and shaped now how I'm having a conversation with my 16 year old stepdaughter about what she is posting on social media and how she's being perceived in the world. And while we were always having that conversation, it is, it is now with a very different lens because what we wouldn't want to do is for them to be stopped or for them to be in a situation where their, their personal life or their social media presence becomes a factor in their character. Yeah. I think I've seen a lot of commentary lately, similar to what you said, where, uh, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of people feel like it's been focused primarily on Black men. Um, But we need to remember that it's, it is much broader than, than just Black men. Yeah. And that's inclusive of the LGBTQ community of of color. Um, So it is a, it's much conversation. Right. And here's the thing, hatred, whether it's racism, gender bias, religion bias, or whatever, is at its core still hatred. I, so I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something that we call the speed round, and I'm going to 
I'm not, I mean, there's certain ones of these things that I want to get your, your, that I want to get your reaction to. And it's your, it's your gut reaction. These are things that I have either had people say to me or I've heard, you know, I've seen on, on social media or something. Oh goodness. I'm afraid of my response. Okay. I see, I see you gearing up. I see you getting ready. You should (laughs) get ready. Yeah. So we, we, so racism wouldn't be an issue if black people wouldn't keep dwelling on it. And someone said that because they thought that that was going to fix a problem or they thought that it was going to magically go away. Someone said that because they don't want you to focus on it or talk about it because it makes them uncomfortable and they'd rather not have that conversation or deal with the reality that racism is real. Yep. It's real and it's present. Absolutely. So, um, I think you and I may have talked about this already. So many people, you know, there's a, there's a pandemic. So many people are suffering right now for so many different reasons. We can't, we can't forget that. Yeah, but right now in this moment, everyone isn't being killed on national TV or having to have a conversation with their child about the fact that you, you're black and you look like the man on TV who was killed and that quite possibly could be you or that you have a daughter and now, as you think about what's happened to Breonna Taylor, that you can't even be in your own home without having um, ill will come your way. That's utterly ridiculous and foolish. That's good. I like that. Especially the, the last part, the utterly ridiculous and foolish part. <laughs> that is an honest reaction. So uh, another one is that that, and I heard this one on a, I heard this one on the radio, honestly, on a radio show. And it is that more black lives are lost in abortion clinics than at the hands of police. Don't those lives matter too? First of all, every life matters. That's number one. And number two, um, I don't even know the rationale behind trying to compare an abortion to outright police brutality. Number one, here's the thing. There are some instances, whether you want to agree with them or not, for religious reasons, that someone may have an abortion. But there is no reason for someone to just decide that you don't get to live today after have being here, walking, breathing, contributing to society in whatever way you've done, whether it was to be a good friend, a good father, a good teammate, a good coworker. And so I think that when people go into this, this discussion around lives and at what point an embryo is a life and all that, number one, yes, we could have that debate on any given day. But today's topic is about police brutality. And let's not lose sight of that. Because once we allow that conversation to die down, then this marathon that we're in, this race is over. And we cannot lose sight again because it will be another 400 years of oppression. 
Yep. Yep. And, and it's, it's, there's, there's the police brutality, but there's also Ahmad Arbery. There are those things that have been happening for yes. hundreds of years as well, that we just haven't had a really good, clear video of. Right. And so that's, those are things, like you said, you can have one discussion on one day, but right now, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about people not being valued because mm -hmm. of the color of their skin. Right. And I think the other thing, just to go back to your one point about racism would go away if black people stop talking about it. Well, you know what? If you didn't have the Amy Coopers walking around, always using white privilege, then maybe we could really get somewhere. But until you deal with the heart of everything and you call some things out and some people to the carpet for their behaviors and the privilege that they have, we'll never be able to move the conversation forward. You have to address it in order to get past it. Right. Yep. And like you said, people say it, this is, I don't, I'm tired of hearing it. I don't want to, yeah. it makes me uncomfortable. What, what am I supposed to do? I, I get defensive. And that's a big part of it. A lot of these things are because there's that I'm defensive because for you to say black lives matter and for me to say to you back, all lives matter, it's because I don't want to have to focus on the fact that black lives haven't mattered to this mm -hmm. point. So I then turn it on you and say, well, all lives matter. And I think, Florence, that is an important part of the discussion is that even in our pain, we're always having to think about someone else so that we can bring them in so that they can be an ally. But when can we just be focused on us? When can this really just be about us and not everyone else in America who is you know, potentially underserved. There are some moments in time that just need quiet and focus. And this is one of them. Emberly, thank you so much for that. And the, uh, thank you so much. And thank you so much for joining me today and having this conversation. I, I have to tell you, I don't know if there's been a clearer point for me in terms of, of these conversations and then just being able to say that comment is it. Thank you so much for joining me tonight, Emberly. Thank you for sharing your story, for sharing your, your heart. I am going to reserve the right to invite you back when we do some, we're going to be doing some panel discussions with some of our moms. And so, oh, absolutely. Yes, you will get the opportunity to meet some of some other fierce moms of Black Sons who have something to say and, and, and have some things to share. So thank you again so much for joining us tonight. Thank you and thank you for having me. It's great to be a part of this. Thank you for joining us for Through Their Mother's Eyes, Real Talk with Moms of Black Sons. We'll be back next week with another great conversation. In the meantime, don't forget to like and follow us and join the conversation on Facebook or Instagram.